today on Ag News Daily. Marble takes a very software first approach and a lot of other companies that are looking to make their equipment smarter have really been taking a hardware focused approach and that's where their bread and butter lies is in hardware development. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy when Tuesday, Tuesday, happy Tech Tuesday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Howell joined by Ashton Carr. Ashton, I'm a little thrown off today on what day of the week it is. That's okay, Delaney. You've had a pretty busy day today, so I won't blame you for forgetting that today is Tech Tuesday and that today's podcast, of course, is brought to you by DPH Biologicals. To unharness your soil's fertility to maximize yield, visit dphbio.com. Calm. But like I said, Delaney, you've been a pretty busy gal this early afternoon slash midday. Don't know what to call it, but either way, you have been busy. <laughs> I have. I am, like I mentioned yesterday, in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. I spoke to Country Visions Cooperative today with a room full of growers and cooperative employees talking about all things agriculture, what's driving commodity markets and the business of agriculture. So I feel a little talked out at this point, Ashton. Well, then, Delaney, I guess we can keep things pretty quick today. So I'll go ahead and just kick us off into the news so we don't make your speaking voice any less hoarse. So I will start things off here. And I thought this piece of news was interesting today because I haven't heard of it, even though it's been going on for four days now. There has been a cargo ship off the coast of Sweden that caught fire and it's going on its fourth day of fire. And I read earlier today that they're having such trouble putting this out because the cargo itself is in such a strange, I guess, location on the ship that these water cannons can't reach it directly. So this fire is in the cargo itself. It's carrying timber. So a real fire starter there. So no surprise that it's going on, I feel like, as long as it has been. But this has not spread to other parts of cargo or the ship itself. But something that I found troubling was that the crew of 17 people have not yet been evacuated from the ship. So I don't know if they're also trying to fight this fire or if they're just going about things as they normally would. Mm, That sounds... Interesting, a little dangerous there for those folks on board. I thought so too, but helicopters, other ships, and even drones have been working around the clock to try and stop this fire. So definitely hoping that they get it stopped soon. Well, this is an interesting piece of news to say the least, Ashton. I know you visited Iowa, but I don't know that you really would have noticed it because we didn't really get you out of Des Moines, but I was pretty heavily armed with wind turbines all across Interstate 35. You go north, you see turbines. You go south, you see turbines. And it's interesting that this was in the news today because I've driven past this facility, this place on I-35 near Ellsworth, Iowa, where there's basically a graveyard of these big wind turbine, their blades and parts, etc., And it seems that workers are in the process of cutting down or cutting these hundreds of discarded wind turbine blades into small pieces, and they can be seen hauled down I-35 right now. Sounds like they're progressing rather quickly, but uh, most of these blades were formerly used by Mid-American Energy, which commissioned a few different companies to help them recycle and dispose of these wind turbines. but. 
I don't know if you've ever seen these Ashton driving down the interstate. They are a force to be reckoned with. I can't quite picture what they look like all chopped up, though. Delaney, I heard about this story as well, and I am right there with you. I mean, seeing these things go down the highway, it's a little bit of a scary sight. Whenever I'm going back to visit my family from Dallas, from Lubbock, we have a ton of wind turbines in, I see, I even say turbines weird. Somebody the other day told me that I, I say- I was going to say that. Yeah. <laughs> turbines, turbines. Yes. Yeah, we say it a little, little differently. They say things differently down there in the South, though, I think. I think you're right. One of my friends, he is from Houston, but he is a wind turbine technician. And I said turbine in front of him and he was very quick to correct me. But either way, we have a lot of turbines out here in West Texas. So I see them all the time when I'm going back home to Dallas and they're setting up a new, I guess, farm, wind farm in one of the smaller towns that I go through. And they just have them like laying on the side of the road. So they're massive and it's only a two lane road going through that small town. So they take up pretty much the the whole thing whenever you're on that road. Yeah, it certainly would be a sight to see driving down the interstate with these turbines all chopped up, but just a strange random piece of news because sometimes I like to find that. But Ashton, I've got a quick update here on the RFS and what's anticipated to come out from the EPA as they are planning to unveil or according to sources, we should see them unveil their new biofuel mandate cuts as early as this Tuesday, today. Biden administration is expecting, though, to propose some reductions in the amount of biofuels oil refiners have been required to blend into their fuel mix, and they're blaming it on COVID-19, which is, according to multiple sources familiar with this matter, I know you reported a few pieces on this yesterday, Ashton, so we still really don't have the long-awaited decision, but folks are saying we should see that later today. Well, fingers crossed that we actually see something that come from this. I have also, you know, read that piece of news today, but wasn't so sure if we're actually going to see something or not. So hopefully we have more to talk about that tomorrow. But as for today, I wanted to remind our listeners to check out last week's Tech Tuesday episode that we had with Mick Messman, who's the president and CEO of DPH Biologicals. Mick talks about the company's new biofertility platform, TerraTrove. Refined across millions of acres, TerraTrove works in broad acre applications to improve soil structure while manufacturing plant nutrition. TerraTrove combines microbes, plant extracts, and algae to offer the most complete biofertility solution available. To unharness soil fertility and maximize yield, visit dphbio.com to learn more. And I'm really sad that I was late to the game, but I did read that December 5th was World Soil Day. So we missed that one, Delaney, because that was on Sunday. But either way, going to keep on trucking here and talk about some questions that the U.S. has about what our relationship with China is going to look like. As it has been said that the U.S. is going under a diplomatic boycott of the 2022 Beijing Winter Olympics. And there's some concern, of course, that this could result in Chinese sanctions on American ag products. Senator Chuck Grassley said that it's very difficult to predict what China might do. He suggests that the U.S. needs to take a strong stand in defense of human rights, which is what this diplomatic boycott is really 
pointing the finger too as to why they're doing this boycott is because of human rights. But Grassley is referring to former President Trump imposing steel in aluminum tariffs on China that eventually led to the phase one trade deal and says that he doesn't think that any final decision has been made, but maybe at this point is the same threat that Trump put in place in regards to negotiating trade. So even though the Olympics does not really have anything to do with agriculture, in my opinion, there might be a domino effect going on here coming from China. So Ashton, are they proposing that the U.S. just not participate in the 2022 Olympics altogether? From what I have read, this article in particular doesn't talk about that, but from what I have read just from seeing things on social media, basically, is that the U.S. isn't sending any sending over any um, political figures to the Mm. Olympics. I think our athletes will still be there, but it's more of a diplomatic urge or diplomatic boycott that they're doing. So I don't think that's an interesting move. I, I thought so myself. Um, But I mean, we've read a lot of stories, I feel like, about human rights in Northwest China. And so I think that that's really just a humanitarian effort. But I thought it was a little bit strange myself. Well, you know, speaking of humanitarian efforts and boycotts and all of that jazz, President Biden is meeting with President Putin of Russia today. They're discussing a lot of things, but apparently some fresh news I read today said that President Biden warned President Putin that the U.S. and European allies would join together to impose, quote unquote, strong economic penalties and other punitive actions on Russia should it mount an invasion of Ukraine, which has been really ongoing tensions there between the Ukraine and Russia. And uh, apparently in a highly anticipated secure video call, Biden, quote, voiced the deep concerns of the U.S. and European allies about Russia's escalation of forces surrounding Ukraine and made it clear that U.S., the U.S. and our allies would respond with strong economic and other measures in the event of military escalation. But that really does seem to be kind of all the news we have up until this point as of recording, Ashton. Well, Delaney, I just have one other story that I want to talk about here today. And it's some words that we have seen from American Farm Bureau President Zippy Duvall. He said that while the Growing Climate Solutions Act might have been the most bipartisan supported piece of legislation that we've seen this year, it's unlikely to be passed. Of course, as we're approaching 2022, I think that a lot of people are talking about kind of what's still up in the air as far as Congress and legislation goes right now. And Duvall even said that we will just have to see where they focus their time and that he thinks that they are going to spend most of their time on Build Back Better, which seems to have really taken the spotlight here as we're kind of wrapping up the year. But Delaney Duval also says that uniting with more groups outside of agriculture with similar goals has been effective and will likely be used to address future issues with lawmakers when it really comes to climate solutions. But that is really all that I have for today. So do you have anything else for us? Well, I think other than markets, I was just going to also mention, just because I liked the headline of this story, it says Brazil is getting crispy um, as we continue <laughs> to watch the La Nina weather pattern down there. I think I mentioned this yesterday on the podcast, but really we're starting to see a lot of deficits, rainfall deficits 
It's in the southern portion of Brazil, so much soy that it's the driest early December in over 30 years in some of those key growing regions of the country. So certainly something the markets are going to continue to watch and trade. Of course, we've got tomorrow's WASD report, which comes out at 11 a.m. Central Time. But aside from that, you know, we talked to Dan Hussey yesterday, and really this report tomorrow is expected to be a non-event, really not going to see a ton of market moving action least from analysts' expectations. You never really know what the USDA is going to put out when it comes to report days. But ahead of tomorrow's report, we saw mixed trade today in the grain markets. And before we get to today's prices, if you're looking for an alternative to starter fertilizer, DPH Biologicals offers a competitive alternative for broad acre crops without sacrificing yield. Refined across millions of acres, TerraTrove combines microbes, plants, extracts, and algae to offer the most complete biofertility solution available. To unharness soil's fertility to maximize yield, visit dphbio.com to learn more. And Ashton, they mentioned there, today's grain markets finished mixed on the day. Corn heading higher and soybeans heading lower. March corn down two and a half cents today to end at 586. The deece down two and a half as well to close at 555 on nose. In the soybean pits, the January contract giving up 11 and a quarter cent to close at 12.50 and a quarter of the March, down eight and a quarter cents, closing at 12.58 and a quarter. Chicago wheat higher today as the March contract added two and a quarter cent, closing at 8.08 and a half. The Deese in the green three and a half cents today, up 8.06 and a quarter on the day. Hand hopping over into the livestock markets, we saw weakness today in the cattle and really lean hog sector as well, aside from the front month contract, which of course we are in expiration now as December rolls off. But February live cattle today down 42 and a half cents, closing at 139.22 and a half, not quite getting that pop to 140 like we chatted about yesterday on the market section with Dan. April down 42 and a half cents to close at 142.45. In feeder cattle today, the January contract down 22 and a half cents, closing at a buck 65.02. The March down 47 and a half cents to end the day at 167.47 and a half. And in lean hogs, the February contract down a dollar 67 and a half to close at 76.55. The April down a dollar 60, closing at 82.05. Lastly, wrapping things up with the dairy class three milk futures, I'm certainly going to support the dairy industry while I'm up here in Wisconsin, get some fresh cheese curds, probably some milk. And the dairy industry rallied on that news. Just kidding. But we did see strength today in the January contract, adding 35 cents, closing at 1953. The February up 40 cents, closing at 1968. Ashton, fill us in on who we're chatting with for today's conversation. Today, we are talking to Brittany Wondercheck, who we've had on the podcast before. But this time, we are talking about Marble Technologies. Well, for today's Tech Tuesday, we have a familiar voice on Brittany Wondercheck, who is the Director of Business Development over at Marble Technologies. Brittany, we've had you on the podcast before, but a totally different topic that we're talking about today. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. So, Brittany, before we get started talking about Marble, I want to catch up with you a little bit because it's been about a year now since we have had you on the podcast. So what's been new with you? Is this a new position that you've taken on with Marble or, you know, what happened there? How'd you get started with Marble? 
Yeah, great question. So last year, um, I used to work for a company called Grainbridge. And our CEO of Marble co-founded Grainbridge. So he went off to MIT and got his master's degree and kept in contact with a few of us that were um, still working at Grainbridge. And when COVID hit, he said, you know, keep your eyes open on the different industries that are being affected by COVID and just see if maybe there's a potential opportunity to start a business to solve some of the challenges that were coming to fruition. And another person on our team had some great mentors in the ag space, and we all have an ag tech and ag background. And they said, you know, check out and keep your eye on the meat processing industry because they are really struggling with labor right now. And this isn't just a COVID problem. It's been going on for years, but has really reached a tipping point. So we spent a lot of hours, hundreds of conversations, just really trying to understand the problem that was impacting them so that we weren't starting with a solution. We were just really trying to dive deep into understanding the problem and then realized that technology and automation was really the way to solve it. So that's how Marble came about. Um, we've been at this for a little bit over a year now. Well, Brittany, now that we have kind of the backstory here on Marble, I want to know a little bit more about the company. Obviously, I've done my research here and I'm very excited to dive into this conversation, but why don't we bring our audience up to speed on what it is that you guys are doing? Sure. Marble is a technology company and we were really founded to accelerate food system technologies for people and the planet. So we create intelligent automated solutions for food processors and we're starting with the beef and pork industry. So we take a software first approach and focus really on augmenting and automating repetitive, difficult and dangerous human tasks using technology like computer vision, artificial intelligence, control system software, and robotics. So we've really um, pulled together a multidisciplinary team and a group of advisors that have mechanical, electrical, robotics, artificial intelligence, engineering, meat science, and successful entrepreneurship and business backgrounds. And the individuals on our team have patented technology in surgical robotics, They've worked on projects in aerospace and astronautics and airport security, just to name a few. So we really try to marry those unique experiences in other industries with individuals who have really deep ag and meat industry knowledge to create solutions that truly revolutionize the meat industry. Well, it certainly sounds like there's a lot of big brain power behind Marvel Technologies. For sure. Yeah, our team is really fun to work with. And it's um, been awesome to just bring together these different perspectives and get some ideas that, you know, maybe haven't been thought about in the industry before. And you you make that point there of that things that haven't really been looked at into this sector of the industry before. So is Marble really the first technology company of its kind to work in this space? So there are some other meat automation companies and some processing equipment providers that are also dabbling in the automation space. However, most of those meat automation companies are primarily located in other countries, and they still don't have many solutions for beef and pork that can truly manage the variability that are present in those species while also operating at the speed and yield that are required by U.S. facilities. So that's really why those solutions haven't been adopted here. 
But in addition, Marvel takes a very software first approach. And a lot of other companies that are looking to make their equipment smarter have really been taking a hardware focused approach. And that's where their bread and butter lies is in hardware development, not necessarily in software and artificial intelligence. But that's really what moves the needle. And that's what Marble is focused on is really that software and then layering on the improvements in process engineering and hardware, which truly allows us to build a comprehensive, intelligent automation solution. So Brittany, you keep mentioning, you know, putting software first. And I think that some people out there get a little maybe confused when it comes to software, just because it can be a a difficult thing with coding and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. I think that you can put that into words a little bit better than I can. But when it comes to incorporating the Marble system into processing facilities. Do you guys actually work with those employees to incorporate that software? I assume so that you're not just kind of leaving them to the wind. Yes, absolutely. So we provide a total solution. Um, we just focus on the software components and source the hardware as well to provide that overall total solution. And then Our support model is to be very hands-on so that we don't ever just leave a processing plant with our products and um, no support. So it definitely takes some time to learn how to utilize new systems regardless of what you implement into a plant. So we are right there by their side. We also do a lot of collaboration in the development of our products. So we are in plants with our customers and that's how we determined you know, which products to start with and what the true pain points were in the plants was really working collaboratively with our potential customers. Um, So that's how we gather data. That's how we build our solutions is in complete collaboration. We don't build these in isolation. So when we're talking about incorporating these systems in, you know, I want to specifically talk about the robotics here. What does that look like on putting those into already operating facilities? Yeah, so we take a very um, phased implementation approach. So um, it's really up to the plant how they want to integrate it, but we try to make it easy with limited downtime. Um, Some solutions on the market today force plants to really change their infrastructure and their footprint um, and make big adjustments that are expensive. In our case, we try to keep these solutions, low footprint and able to be implemented in a phased approach. So Brittany, I want to explore some of the benefits here because I am really interested in AI and incorporating these robotic systems into the world of agriculture. But I think that it's kind of an unknown space right now, at least from a a consumer standpoint, not somebody who works super closely with AI or robotics. So I want to talk about the benefits from that standpoint, from our processing facilities, you know, how are they going to benefit from using this kind of technology rather than just manual labor? Yeah, great question. So artificial intelligence and automation in general, whether it's robotics or changes in process engineering, really help keep processors from being so reliant and putting people in tasks that are repetitive, difficult, or just inherently dangerous, like some tasks are in a processing plant. So artificial intelligence, why that's important, especially for beef and pork, is that 
those animals can vary substantially from one to the next. In poultry, where there has been quite a bit of automation, it's been primarily fixed automation. And fixed automation relies on consistent products. So birds don't vary quite as much from one to the next as pork and beef do. So in our case, artificial intelligence, computer vision, software, those all have to be able to manage that variability from animal to animal in order to keep the yields consistent and operate efficiently. Additionally, with automation, you can be more precise. So as humans, we get tired, we you know come to work and maybe don't have our best days. And with automation, that's just not the case. So um, there's a lot of potential improvements in terms of yield and um, things like that in processing that can be done with automation better than it can be done with humans. Well, Brittany, it has certainly been interesting to catch up with you and get to know a little bit more about Marble. Looking into the future here, though, what do you see that's kind of next on the table for Marble Technologies? Where in the next five to 10 years do you think we can see y'all? Yeah, ultimately, Marble, we are focused on bringing innovation that results in meat processing 2.0 or the next generation of meat processing where plants are running more efficiently and more sustainably and the jobs inside those plants are easier. So in terms of the development process, we plan to unveil and demo our technology in 2022. So definitely be looking out for that. And um, from there, we'll continue to automate and make meat processing next generation a reality. Awesome. Well, Brittany, thank you once more for coming on and chatting with us for our Tech Tuesday episode this week. Yeah. And if anyone wants to learn more about Marble, um, please visit our website. It's cmarble, S-E-E-M-A-R-B-L-E.com. And you can also follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter at cmarbletech. Thanks again to Brittany for coming on and chatting with us last week. But of course, we are airing that today. She was a joy to have back on the show. And I think it's really interesting when we're talking about AI and robotics, especially when we're talking about meatpacking. Absolutely, Ashton. It's really interesting that we're seeing a lot of new companies like this come to light and doing things and thinking outside of the box, which is what you have to do when you're looking at the current landscape of agriculture and you know, things just happen. Fertilizer prices skyrocket. We get COVID-19. You never really know. You're exactly right there, Delaney. But as we continue to grow in this ever-changing landscape that we are in in the world of agriculture, we're going to continue to have some wonderful conversations about how we're adapting. And of course, hopefully talk about some history along the way, because I am always learning. So folks, tune in to agnewsdaily.com if you want to learn with me. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.